Amen. All right, let's stay standing. Let's pray before we sit down. Father, we thank you for your presence here this afternoon. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God, Father, and your purposes for us are whole and they are pure, and they are to call us into the fullness of the experience of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for your heart towards uh, sexuality, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you created us sexual beings, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray, Father, that today there'll be a real stirring in our hearts to pursue you in a holy, in a holy way, to pursue you in a way which brings you honor and in a way which brings you glory. And Father, we pray, Father, that everybody that leaves this place would not leave under condemnation or leave under temptation, but would rather leave this place with a sure and certain um, pursuit and goal of living holy and righteous before the living God. Lord, we, Father, we ask that you'd speak to us by your word, that you'd bring clarity, that you'd bring truth, that your Holy Spirit would be upon our hearts, Lord God. We're not here to be offensive or offend people, Father, but we're here to draw near to you with all that we are. So we give you all the glory for everything you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Fantastic. Let's take our seats. It's an interesting message to be preaching to the church. Normally, I'll be preaching this sort of a message in a men's encounter down in Annan Court. 100 guys able to talk straight, no video recording, no internet streaming. So today, it's a little bit different. Amen. But we're going to go for it. And like I said, if you've got kids here, sometimes. Amen. Now, this is a message in the context of spiritual disciplines. And we might have a question, why does sexual purity have a place or a position in the context of spiritual disciplines? And as you know, through this series, we've been um, discussing how all of the spiritual disciplines have a goal and a purpose of drawing us near to the Father. They are not intended to be punishments. They're not intended to be badges of holiness and holier than thouness, but rather they are uh, a, a a plea from the heart of God to enter into the holiness that he's prepared for us. The Word of God says that we would be holy just as the one who has created our Father is holy. And so this aspect of sexuality or purity is a spiritual discipline. And today my end goal, my aim, is to strengthen all of us in the call of Jesus to be people that walk in purity in this area, in the pursuing of Jesus Christ. Whether you're married or not, this applies to all of us in pursuing Jesus. And if it gets a little bit heavy or direct at times, well, sometimes we need to hear that kind of a message. Amen? Now, I want to ask a question. What has sexual purity got to do with your relationship with God? In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8, it says, For this is the will of God your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness." Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit. The challenge of Scripture and the challenge for us today as Christians is how do we honor God with our sexuality? And in our culture today, many people get, don't get beyond the age of 20 remaining virgins. There is an important call that's needed to be made to those that are younger, perhaps kids that you're raising right now, or people that you have influence with, to challenge them to continue in their purity up until the point of marriage, if at all possible. I also know that in this kind of a room, there are many people who've become Christians after having walked a free life in a sense of the, the liberties that they expressed physically, and perhaps have given up their virginity, but are now in a place where they want to go on in sanctification with the Lord. And there is an importance for each one of us to protect our relationship with Jesus, and also protect our hearts in relationship with one another. And I believe firmly that God can and will bring restoration for those, that he, for those of you that are pressing in for that sanctification. Thirdly, the area of the importance of protecting the marriage bed. Even if you're not married today, you can be protecting your marriage, marriage bed by the actions that you're taking today. See, in the eyes of God, those that are married are practicing purity when they are together with their husband or wife. 
Sex is not a thing which is dirty, kept outside, not part of the creation or will of God. The marriage bed is a place of practicing the purity of God with sexual relationship. And that's very different to the defiled bed of one who commits adultery. In one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And people would often say, well, those Ten Commandments, you know, they are a, uh, a limiting thing. They, they prevent us from enjoying the fullness of life. We know that we speak that we are not un- no longer under the law, yet the truth is that we are called to practice a holiness that can be described in that specific wording. And it's, about not, it's not about limiting people. It's about giving them the ability, the strength to protect that which is most valuable to them. And in the context, you shall not commit adultery. We're going to come back to these definitions time and again. But adultery is to do with when you are married, not being faithful to that marriage relationship and sleeping with someone outside, an extramarital relationship. A successful marriage requires a lifetime, a lifetime of hard work which is always rewarding in the end and frequently as you go through that marriage relationship. But to give up when times get tough or to compromise when life is not going as we expected is to miss out on the benefit when we push on through and experience the fullness that God intends in and through marriage. Marriage is about a lifetime pursuit of love, of forgiveness, of growing together and dealing with issues which hold us back from fully walking with the Lord. Now that kind of a message, as I've laid it out for you so far, is at sharp contrast or sharp intersection with our current cultural conversation. In our culture at large, there is much of um, a position that we should be cohabiting, that this idea or institute of marriage has become irrelevant. Um, And mostly it's built on this idea of the human right. The human right to, to do as we please seems to be the way forward. But the reality is, through cohabitation and other such mechanisms of relationship, that there is a large proportion of broken relationship. With cohabitation, they estimate that the average lifetime of that sort of a relationship would be about 6.9 years. And so it's not really building towards a long-term future. If you were to live 50, 60 years, you'd probably get up through up to an eight or nine long-term cohabiting partners if you were fairly regular in that. And yet the Lord calls us to walk our lives out with one person, if at all possible, as we walk with him. Now, just to say at the start, um, we are fully aware, as we do often pastorally deal with these sorts of issues, where relationships break down due to physical or emotional abuse. Not just having arguments, but when those arguments become abusive and they become physical, there is the opportunity for relationship to break down. And so anyone that is in that category Please hear the rest of what I'm saying in, that, in the context of um, a bit of wisdom and a bit of balance to, to kind of get that perspective on it. But for the rest that aren't in that sort of a physical or emotional uh, abusive relationship, don't let those experiences become excuses for how we own our purity today. Every single person here is responsible for their purity before the Lord. Now, this might be a poor analogy, but it maybe would be something that would make sense to all of us, so let me throw it out there, and it might be something that a few of you latch onto. But imagine this, that marriage is like an iPhone 5, all right? And imagine that we don't go on to 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Hear me out for a second. I'll, I'll, I'll get to the point so you get it. Now, cohabitation relative to marriage as it is intended is like going back to the iPhone 1. Now, the problem that the cohabitors will do, have is that they will look at the iPhone 5, which is operating on an iOS 1, the first generation operating system, and say, look, marriage, marriage isn't working. This whole marriage thing, it's not working. Look, they don't know how to do it right. And because marriage isn't working, I'm not going to get married. Maybe we've looked at bad examples, divorced parents or the multiplicity of kids that we've grown up with that have divorced parents and thought, I don't want to put myself in that sort of a position. Now, it's not time for us to upgrade to the iPhone 6 because the iPhone 5 with Operation OS 1 isn't working right. What we should do is upgrade the operating system to iOS 6 or whatever it is now, 5 or 6, but the one that was designed to work with the phone. Now, for all of us, the best way to learn how to do marriage is to go to the one who created it and go to his book, the Bible, 
to begin to understand how God intends for marriage to work. Ephesians 5 is the gateway, the entryway to the Christian perspective on how we do marriage, where it speaks of husbands loving their wives just like Christ loves the church, washing them with the word, ministering to them, serving them, and women walking in correct relationship with their husband. That is the entryway to the experience of the kingdom of God type of marriage. So when we take marriage and we put the operating system of the Lord, the kingdom of heaven, in marriage, that's when marriage begins to fully function as it is intended. Others might come back and say, well, you know, it looks like you could build a good marriage. We have a good relationship. It looks healthy, but I can't afford to get married. Do you know what? Today you can get married for as much as an iPhone costs or less. Sometimes people put these big, oh, we'd have to buy a house together. We'd have to buy a car together. 400 pounds, you can get married. Nice dress, few flowers, hire the registrar, go get married, invite your friends along. So money is never an excuse. Oh, no, no, but I need to have the big white wedding. Okay, sometimes we need to make compromises on the big white wedding if you want to move forward in a relationship that honors God. So that is our analogy today. Now, if we were to look at the way that the world does relationship, in, in our society at large, God is largely considered an irrelevance. He's been removed from the public place. People are not attending church as they used to. And much more than the opinions of God, uh, marriage and, and the way that we do relationship is much spoken into by the opinions of men. And those opinions, which are based on self-seeking and self-service, have led to a gradual degradation of society. Now, society, as it looks at itself and carries out assessments and carries out surveys, is recognizing that the most healthy way for a child to grow up is in a marriage family unit. Perhaps one of the most unhealthy ways for the child to grow up is in a cohabiting unit, because there is no security. The parents can split at any point in time, leaving them in a place where they're being raised by one or the other and having to deal with the fallout of that sort of a relationship. As society looks at itself, it has to begin to recognize that those things which it has taken on and extolled as the way forward are not working as well as they had hoped. But when we bring God back into the equation and we begin to discuss it as we will today and put him in the right place, that conversation, the 2,000-year-old conversation that has been had with Christianity puts back the power, the strength, the enabling for all of us to enter into and build successful marriage relationships. And the goal of this sort of a message today would be to release a new generation, those that have struggled, those that have battled in this generation, but those that are also to come to be people that value the relationships that God has prepared for us. And we need to be aware that the society is having this bigger discussion with the whole issue of gay marriage and whether um, homosexual people should be allowed to marry, marry or not, and whether that should be enshrined in law or not. Those kind of issues mean that we as Christians have to enter the dialogue. We have to be participating in this discussion on what sexual purity is and what marriage is and why marriage is the correct context for us to practice our sexuality within. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, neither adulterers, adulterers homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, Paul is perhaps one of the most controversial figures in early Christianity, and he was not averse to talking about or discussing some of the major issues which we are still discussing today. Often, this passage that I've just read will be used in a historically uh, intolerant way, or historically it's been used in an intolerant way to judge people, to begin to look down on people and to begin to undercut their rights as human beings. I think it's important that we remember the context that Paul specifies that such were some of them. Now, the reality is some of them might still have been experiencing the walk of sanctification and dealing with some of the issues that they had, but he is calling them out and rem reminding them of the fact that they have been saved that their sin has been forgiven, that they have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And what that means is they are now enabled to live life in a way which honors God. 
Now, Paul very explicitly and purposefully speaks to a number of aspects which we need to be aware of. First, fornication. I often hear people come to me and say, well, Gabriel, it doesn't say you can't have sex before marriage in the Bible, so I'm fine. The word fornication is defined as the practice of sex prior to a marriage relationship. The word adultery is defined as the practice of sexual relations with somebody who is not your marriage partner. In addition to that, he discusses homosexuals and sodomites, those who receive, those who give. So he is taking it to another level in his interaction. He's not ignoring the issue, but rather tackling the issue head on. So I want us to step back and begin to think about the wider context. What is this sexuality piece about? Well, first off, it's designed and created by God. When God created the heavens and the earth and he made Adam and Eve, he looked at them and he said, look, it is good. And in that same context, Genesis 1, 27 and 28, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, I see right there in creation and in the creation mandate, God says, go forth and multiply. How do you think he intended for that to happen? There's no IVF at that point in time. He's very purposefully saying, this is what I've created, and it is good. Go forth and multiply. Sex is part of God's creation and his gift to mankind in the right context. In this specific context, it is given to Adam and Eve who have come together as a married couple in the sight of God and therefore are living out as the first family unit. Now we know that much has happened from Adam and Eve through to us today. But there is a challenge that's held in 1 Corinthians 6 to every single one of us. Now, oftentimes people say the Bible is irrelevant, doesn't discuss the issues that are pertinent to us. If you go and look in uh, W.H. Smith that's not there anymore or any magazine store, look at the issues that are being discussed. Sexuality, marriage, divorce, cohabitation. That's all being discussed regularly on the front cover of every single magazine that is there in the shop. Right here in Scripture, that discussion is also taking place. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now let's redefine again sexual immorality. What is it? In the sight of God and in the the description of God, it is anything outside, any sexual practice outside of the marriage covenant. So it includes such things as masturbation and pornography, extramarital affairs, premarital relationships, all of that kind of stuff is included under the term sexual immorality. Now the challenge for every single one of us as Christians, and this applies to everybody as a Christian, whether you're straight, gay, whether you aren't into relationships at all. We are all called to walk in purity and honor the Lord with our physical bodies. First and foremost, we are created to be temples of the Holy Spirit. What that means is the God who is in heaven, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who molded each one of you before, uh, while you were in your mother's womb, the God who has walked with you all of your lives, even though perhaps you haven't walked, up, walked with him up until a certain point. But that same God has taken up, as Christians, residence in your life by the Holy Spirit. That means, as it says in that passage, that we are bought at a very high price, the blood of Christ. We are now walking in relationship with God who is living on the inside of us. And as such, let us walk in and honor our bodies as the temples of the Holy Spirit. That is perhaps the most important gift that God gives us, that we are called to be people that carry his presence. And as such, we should be practicing and walking in purity. God has given us an arena in which to practice a sexual relationship. That's within the context and sanctity of marriage. And when a relationship has been built well, 
And by that, I mean this. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we looked at discussion on relationships. When a relationship has been built well, when we know each other uh, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, prior to getting to know one another physically, then we are preparing for a relationship whereby when marriage occurs, phys the physicality or the physical aspect can be a crown that sits on the rest of the relationship that's been built up. And I explored during that series that the most frequent thing that happens is people get into a physical relationship very early on. And very early on, they begin to engage at a level of relationship with somebody without knowing them, perhaps not even knowing their name, perhaps not knowing uh, the history, where they've come from, um, and if their, their preferences or their, their characteristics or what they're intending to do with life, and they engage in a very intimate level of relationship prior to even having any knowledge of that person. And when they begin to find out about that person, they begin to see, oh, actually, we, don't, we just don't connect. But the physical connection becomes an overrider. Oh, because we've been physical, we're going to stay in this relationship. And because we've fallen, we're going to, we're going to stay in this, and we're going to keep going. And because it's easy. Most people stay in those kind of relationships because it's easy, and it's available, and it's regular. And that keeps people together for a purposeless relationship. God intends relationship to be purposeful, to be growing so that each of us can grow into the image of Jesus Christ, so that we can become all that he's created us to be. Now, when you've built well and you know somebody, you know the way they think, you know the way they are, you know that you have a good personality match and the characteristics that you have good go well together and you decide that you have a, a purpose together in, in the longer term of life, um, Perhaps you're called to minister in the same place or called to the same agenda, the same goal. Walking in that direction together into the marriage relationship, that physical aspect is to crown that relationship. Now, that's God's intention. The reality is that man has corrupted sex through a various um, series of self-seeking agendas. With the liberal agenda that we have in this nation, at a, at a governmental level and right throughout those that exercise power, there is this pressure on every side through education, through the children that are now being taught about sexuality at the age of five and the practice of both homosexual, homosexuality and heterosexuality at the age of five. It's very explicit material being put in our schools these days. Right from our education all the way through to the wider voice that is continually speaking into relationships. You might know that in Sweden they recently had an issue where they had websites that were actively promoting adultery. Actively promoting, come to this website and find somebody that you can have a secret relationship with. Your, your wife or partner will never know all over the city, advertised everywhere. And so these kind of things, uh, this marriage relationship is being challenged at every level. And it's degrading. I think the reality is, and the reason we need to talk about this, is when relationships break down, it breaks hearts. When people are abused, it breaks hearts. When people are mistreated, it means that they can't be everything that they want to be in life because a brokenness enters. Maybe they've learned to not trust people. Maybe they've learned that they're not worth very much. Maybe they've learned that even if they give their very lives to somebody, they can still be betrayed and let go of. And that doesn't get solved by piling on and multiplying the sin. It doesn't get resolved by enabling people to continue to make stupid decisions. The reality is we need to challenge one another. This sexual purity issue is a battle. It needs to be challenged on a daily basis in order to step into who we are called to be. Some of you here might be saying to yourself, you know, I don't believe in marriage, so I don't even know how I'm going to apply anything that you're talking to me about. I think I would ask you to consider why you don't believe in marriage. Is it because your parents were divorced? Is it because your parents had affairs? Is that why? Because you don't want to be like your parents, therefore you don't want to enter into a marriage relationship. Is it because you were perhaps abused and you, don't have you have trust issues when relating to people? Is that why you don't believe in marriage? Is it perhaps because you've been divorced in the past and you don't want to get into that same set of scenarios again? Well, 
the truth is and the reality is we don't grow unless we deal with the past. We don't grow unless we deal with the issues that have gone before. We don't move forward purposefully unless we address the things of our heart. And the issue with God is he makes room for us to be healed in our heart when those things have gone before. And he makes room for us to step forward and to make a difference, to do things differently, empowered by his word. The truth is, and I wanna say this with sensitivity because I understand a lot of the reasons why people get into relationships. But if you're unwilling to deal with your issues around relationships, perhaps you shouldn't get into them in the first place. Because your brokenness will lead to more brokenness with the people that you walk with. Perhaps it's better to deal with your issues so that you can bring some strength to them when you enter into a relationship with them. I think a lot of people are also very naive concerning the issues surrounding a promiscuous society. Sexually transmitted diseases, AIDS, are big problems. People are often forgetting to use protection, often. Ending in unwanted pregnancies, ending in um, situations which are not constructive uh, for our own futures, and we simply resolve these problems by going for an abortion, or um, just breaking the relationship up, or going and taking some drugs from the supermarket or from our doctors. None of those are viable solutions. To take away somebody's life because of a mistake or a few moments of joy on your part is incorrect. You wouldn't be here today if your parents had decided that they wanted to just cancel out those few moments of enjoyment. We need to begin to recognize that there is life. Ask any mother. There is life in, those, in their wombs when they're pregnant. Now the deception of it is, it's because it feels good, it's all good. It's just a physical act anyway, isn't it? All of us, uh, well those of you who grew up in, with the 90s and the music, you and me aren't nothing, uh, you and me are uh, nothing but mammals. You know that song? Maybe if you watched MTV back before they stopped showing music, they would, you'd have that. But this message has come out that it's just a physical act. It's just physical, it doesn't have any effect on you. Well, the verse that I read just a few moments ago, it says, he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. There's another verse in 1 Corinthians 6, so even if it is just a physical act, it is a sin against your own body which affects you in ways that you don't know, we're gonna explore those momentarily. In addition to that, 1 Corinthians 6, 15, it says, do you not know that your, members are, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Now this verse is used to endorse a position which we subscribe to that sex is much more than just a physical act. It is physical, it is emotional, and it is spiritual. And it has consequences on you with every partner that you have. Now we're not saying that sex is not intended to be enjoyable. It's created by God, it is enjoyable. But the reality is it needs to be practiced within the correct context. A lot of people, Christian people that I know, and the reason I'm discussing this in a pulpit, in a context like this, is because I know that holy as you will look, there are people out there struggling with these issues right now. And so this is a conversation which we need to have. Oftentimes, Christians will say, isn't this all hidden under grace? You know, this grace thing. All of my sin is forgiven. All of the consequence of my sin is taken away. I'm guaranteed eternal life. So game on. Let's go live the dream. You can't tell me nothing about how I live my life because it's all under the grace. And the reality is that is not true. Grace sets us free from sin, not setting us free to sin. And when the, the reality is this, and I see it and I observe it all of the time with guys in the cell that struggle with this area who are still in that walk of sanctification with other people that I know in the wider church. The reality is when people enter into sexual relationships, their hearts immediately begin to grow hard to God. Immediately. No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's okay. But just watch their behavior. They begin to withdraw from relationship with the church. They stop praying. They walk around with the guilt. 
they become secretive, they're pulling away from the relationships which are challenging them, they begin to hear him less, they begin to ask questions like, why is my life turned the way it has? Why are things going wrong? You know, I thought I was under grace, I thought this was all right. And they begin to blame God because now their life is not going as well as they had hoped it was, would be. But the reality is it's a consequence of the sin working out. The wages of sin still are death in a physical sense. We know that we'll be given the gift of eternal life, but in this life, we can cut short the experience of the fullness of the kingdom of God by choosing to walk in sin in specific areas. Now, this is one of the most destructive to the human experience because there's a sin against our own body. The real consequence is that we are hardened in our hearts and attitude towards God. A real consequence of sexual relationship prior to marriage is false relationship is staying with somebody for the wrong reasons. Perhaps you're feeling guilty about having got physical. Perhaps you're feeling that you know, you've taken away something from somebody and therefore you have a, uh, an obligation to them to stay with them. Now, I'm not saying that we should run and break up with people and suddenly start breaking up all of these relationships. What I am saying is this. Start to take responsibility for your sexuality and your sexual practice today. A lot of people have unthought through arguments. You know, it doesn't mention in Scripture. Now, I've already explained to you about the definition of fornication, the definition of adultery. I've already pointed out that God speaks very straightly to the homosexual issue through His Word. He addresses sexual sin. Now, sexual sin affects us in ways that other things don't. And we can easily, when we begin to hear those kind of contexts and are sexually charged and sexually active, be thinking to ourselves, well, God is, God is just such a prude. He's just so, you know, closed-minded. Can't he be open-minded? I mean, this is the 21st century after all. Can't he just be free like the rest of us? But the reality is God understands what it is that builds us up and what it is that tears us down. And he calls us to be and walk in ways which build us up as people. God wants people to enjoy sex, but it is in the right context. Now, we are created with specific needs that are met in the sexual relationship. For the man, I mean, the man's general perspective is that it's the easiest and quickest way in which to show intimacy, avoids long conversations, it avoids exposing emotions, it avoids having to spend time and, and do difficult things and acts of service, but we get to show intimacy. And so guys take that shortcut all the time. Women, on the other side, find that it's a place where they receive the affirmation that they require in the area of love. So oftentimes a guy will say, I love you, to get things which he doesn't really love you for. Now, there are needs that are met. The needs there are intimacy. The needs there are being loved and experiencing love. And they need to be met in the right context in order to fulfill us. Otherwise, we end in the same destructive cycle again and again and again and again and again, just with different people, because we're looking for that love in a place where we're not going to receive it, because it is not an environment that is designed for love. Now, the relationship and environment that is designed for love is the marriage relationship. Now, in this context, we need to talk about the issue of pornography, because it is something that affects many people in the church just as much as people out in the world. In Matthew 5, 27, it says, you, who, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For what is more profitable for you, that one of your members perish, than for your whole body to be cast into hell? This is Jesus talking. This is Sermon on the Mount. And he's beginning to expand on the kingdom of God interpretation of what holiness is. And oftentimes people would get into a thing where they're like, well, you know, I've looked, but I haven't touched, so I haven't sinned. It's only when I cross the line and enter into a physical relationship that I've sinned. That was the way that they would interpret this issue of you shall not commit adultery. Jesus brings a correction. He begins to help us understand that this is really a heart issue and sin in this area begins in the heart. Now, if you were to say to me, is there a verse that directly challenges pornography in Scripture? No, there isn't. 
because there's no, f no such thing as film in those days. There's no such thing as photographs in those days. But there is the issue of a heart and what is going on in your heart when there is an observation of these kind of things. It affects both men and women. Now, the statistically speaking, they reckon over 90% of men have a problem with this, and the numbers with regard to women are swiftly on the increase. Now, the issue with pornography is this. On a value level, it is legitimizing the dehumanization and devaluation of women. It is about objectifying women. Now, how can we say that? What is it that you need to do to please that woman or to have a relationship with that woman or to build her up? Nothing. Just go on the internet. Costs nothing. There's no interaction. There's no need on your part. There's no need to give. There's no hard work. That's lust at its core. It's about meeting your own needs without reference to the woman's needs. And these women are being put on the internet for the rest of their lives. Those clips will be up there. I need to say to you that it's the hard work of relationship that brings out the best in all of us. This is about the easy way out and destroying the image of people. And the truth is that it has been successful in sullying the minds of a generation of men. Now those men, whether Christian or not, struggle with guilt, struggle with shame, struggle with their relationships because of the guilt of what they've done and are unable to fully love their partners because of the consequence of what they've been doing earlier. A whole generation sullied by this issue. And the sad reason is, it's because it's a multi-billion pound industry. It's because people who are in this industry are making money out of the men and the women. It is perhaps one of the biggest practices of slavery in the world today, next to human trafficking. Because there are those who are performing, slaves, and there are those that are watching, slaves. Now, if you were to say to them, break your habit, they would say, I really, really want to. But the reality is, they struggle very, very hard, and most don't. It leads to an unhealthy bondage, an unhealthy guilt. It's more than just a financial or physical issue. This becomes a, an issue which defines the whole of our lives. It leads to worthlessness, a lack of integrity or a lack of self-belief. It is addictive. It is uncontrollable when nourished and nurtured. And it leads to a destructive view of the opposite sex. How can you honor women who are in front of you, sisters, when you are viewing images that dishonor them in other contexts. It's unhealthy. And fundamentally, it's unhealthy, especially in the area of marriage. It sets you up for unhealthy comparisons. Now, in Proverbs 5, 18 through 20, it says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? If you're in a marriage relationship and one is locked in pornography in some form of way, addiction, that brings an unstable relationship or a weakness into the marriage. The reason for that is the comparisons that are drawn. Well, that woman that's on the internet, She's well endowed. What's going on with you? That woman who's on the internet, she's nice and trim, and you're carrying a little bit of junk in the trunk. You know what I'm saying? Unhealthy comparisons which lead to the destruction of a relationship. Now, that scripture very clearly says, do you want to know what your type is? Your type is your marriage partner. Every attribute that she has, that's your type. So if you wanted a blonde girlfriend, marry a blonde. <laughs> Don't marry the brunette and then get upset about it, right? But once you've got that marriage partner, that's your type. But if you're looking elsewhere, oh, but they look better at this, and they look better than this, and they look better there, and they look better there, and why won't you do this, and why won't you do that? Unhealthy comparisons. 
I firmly believe that it's possible in this day and age to live a life free from pornography addiction. It's even possible to live a life free from masturbation if you're single. We'll discuss that elsewhere with the fellas. I know that probably it's not the right place to do it here. I'm just saying that it is possible. It's possible to take every thought captive. It's possible to live, Ephesians 5 verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. And I firmly believe that there is a young generation out there who need people setting that sort of an example. People, if you were to go up to the youth of today and say, do you wish that you hadn't, do you wish somebody told you that you shouldn't be giving it up so early, all of them invariably will say, yes, I wish I hadn't. I wish somebody had been a good example. I wish somebody had told me because it's, it's, it's caused brokenness to enter my heart. I don't trust people. I don't want a relationship. I don't view people properly. I devalue people. The young people need to see a generation like ours rising up in purity in this area. Amen? So how do we take responsibility for our purity? This is why we're all here. First, it's knowing that forgiveness and restoration is available, especially in the person of Jesus. Now, it's actually people that are more likely to condemn you, to bring you uh, in, into guilt, to bring you into shame. But we see two examples. We see Jesus with the woman caught in the very act of adultery. He forgives her and then releases her to sin no more and rather fights off her accusers instead of uh, endorsing their position by simply saying to them, listen, who is without sin cast the first stone? And the one who could have judged her set her free, but in setting her free enabled her to go live a life of wholeness, knowing that she was worth something. Or the woman uh, of the well, the Samaritan woman at the well who he asked for water. He's speaking to her and he says, listen, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Now five husbands, that's serious. You know, people do five relationships, that's easy, especially in this day and age, but five husbands and now to be on number six, what is she on about? Marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, that... Maybe she got a lot out of the settlements, who knows. But he speaks to her, and her response is to be set free and run around telling everybody the good news of Jesus Christ, and that whole city comes to hear the gospel message. There is forgiveness and restoration for any of you who have fallen in this area, whether it was your choice or whether it was forced on you. I want to ask you to begin to ask yourself, what does sexual integrity look like? First thing I need to say to you, that I cannot give you your boundaries, and I'm not here to set your boundaries for you. I'm here to give you some skills to fight for your boundaries. The first is this issue. It's understanding the difference between infatuation and what real love is. Understanding what the world calls love and what the Bible calls love. And I want to read to you, uh, it's not great because I spent some time just working on this earlier. It's not great. But it's just a bit of a set off between the poem of lust and the poem of love. But baby, I love you so much. I can't wait. It might be years before we get married, but I just want to show you how much I love you. Don't worry. I promise I'll love you forever. But in my mind, I'm thinking I'll tell you what you need to hear so I can get what I want. But if you get crazy, if you get possessive, if you start acting up and stuff, I'm gone. I know I promised, but you promised you wouldn't do this when I promised. Verses, love suffers long and is kind. The immediacy of I need to get this now versus the decision to pursue holiness and walk to the purpose that Jesus has prepared in marriage. Baby, if you really love me, just put up with my wayward nature. I'm free. I need to go sow my wild oats. I mean, the Bible says love does not envy, so why are you getting all envious? You shouldn't be jealous. You shouldn't be possessive. But love does not envy in that context. It's about the honor and freedom given to somebody that you genuinely love to choose to protect the relationship. This is not about setting them free so they can go running around sinning willy-nilly. It's so that they can be free to practice integrity in their heart towards you. Baby, I told you I loved you. Isn't that enough? Don't you see how much I put in? I'm coming around to see you at least three nights a week. I'm slaving away at work. Sometimes I come home and I'm tired, but I make the effort to come and see you. The least you should do is meet my needs. I've been doing 
my best for you, versus love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. Yes, I got what I needed. That silly girl for believing me. The girl thinking, I just get used to being abused and used. I guess I just have to put up with it if I get that thing called love. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. True love never fails. There's a difference. True love is serving the other person. True love is waiting. True love is choosing to protect what is most precious in your partner. Us walking into these kind of relationships is to choose to be held accountable by the Word of God. It's choosing to believe the Word of God over the examples we see around us. Do you know how many times I've had these difficult conversations where somebody is still walking out sanctification in their life and perhaps are struggling in an area of sin? And they divulge it. They say, listen, you know, I, I'm really struggling with my boyfriend or girlfriend and we, and we fell into a relationship and we fell into sin and somebody else is sitting by watching. And they go off and sin and they come back and say, well, it's okay because that person's just done it so I can do it. The reality is we're called to account by the word of God, not by the practice of other people. We are all on a different level of our walk into intimacy with the Lord. So we choose to be held accountable by the word of God, and we choose to both take responsibility. So you need two people fighting the same. This is why we talk about not being unequally yoked. We need people who are equally yoked, so we choose to both fight for the integrity of the word of God in our relationships. So if one is struggling, the other can hold them up. If you're the one that is the one uh, keeping for purity and then you have a rough day and the other person's the whole time fighting for it and wanting to break that purity in your life, the moment you have a weak day, you're going to go down. But the moment that you have both fighting for the same thing, you'll stay fighting for the same thing whether one is weak or not. We do need to walk in integrity and in honesty. Keep aiming for higher. If you've stumbled, if you've fallen, get back up and reach for more. Keep going for better. If you've made mistakes, don't now set that as your new barrier. Go back to the um, level that you'd set for yourself before, the boundary that you'd set yourself before. And the truth is, in the setting of our boundaries, we need to choose to set our boundaries ourselves in a way which honors God and in a way which honors our partner. So that means that you need to be intentional. We are not going to be in the same room past 11 o'clock, lying on a bed, not going to be alone together um, late into the night. Those kind of good, wise decisions are the sort of things you need to think about. Areas that you're going to touch each other physically. That's the sort of stuff you need to think about and be wise about. And the reality is, until you get married, a lot of these physical things, can, the needs for that can be met in God and seeking to honor God. And the challenge for you is to think about and seek how you can do that. Begin to intentionally put into place boundaries for yourself. And this is a piece that I want to bring it to just real quick, the anointing piece. I can guarantee, looking at any group of people, people that are struggling with sexual issues are the ones that feel least like they can honor God. And the truth is, I want to encourage you in what God is doing in your life. That might be the thing that's highest in your mind, but look at the other things that God is doing. Look at the integrity he's bringing back in in other areas. Look at the people that you're enabling and releasing life to. Look at the people that you're now encouraging where before you would never say an encouraging word. Look at the, the way you're working at work. You're now practicing integrity in the way you do work. Now, be encouraged by that stuff and start to import it into what's going on in this area because God has an anointing that he's prepared for you and has given you but your experience of that anointing is limited when you're walking around with guilt, when you're walking around in shame. Aspects of your anointing are reserved for your experience when you're walking in holiness in this area. And really fundamentally, let's bring it back to this, the core message, is God wants us happy. God wants us genuinely happy in our relationships, genuinely happy in the pursuit of our lives. And for him, the way that he set it up is in the marriage relationship. 
and in pre preparing for that and pursuing that. And so let us begin to align to that and believe God for that and deal with the issues that we have and deal with the brokenness of the past and deal with the struggles that we have because it's core to our understanding that God actually wants us to be happy and that we would see marriages built on the right, right foundation, that we'd see a whole new world where there's hope, where there's family units together, where kids don't have to go through the struggle or parents don't ha gonna have to go through the heartbreak of seeing marriages and relationships break up, but rather they would be encouraged and built up in who they are called to be by the word of God. Amen? I think I've said everything I need to say. So let us pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for the challenge and the call in this area. Lord, we recognize that you have a purpose for every single one of us, that we would possess our vessels in sanctification and in holiness. And Lord, I ask you that you'd release your spirit of purity in this house, Lord God. Do you release a, a move of your spirit which brings strength to our hearts, that brings a wholeness to our hearts, Lord. Whether it's been broken relationship in the past, you begin to deal with us on those things and bring wholeness and bring a restoration, Lord. Whether it's been... Um, abuse in the past, that you begin to heal our hearts of that brokenness and heal our hearts of that shame, where we know we've made bad decisions for the wrong reasons. Lord, that you begin to help us with making the right decisions in the future. But Lord, that you'd release your spirit of holiness amongst your people, Lord, that you'd break the control of lust on the hearts of men and women, and Lord, that you'd lead them into liberty, that you'd lead them into wholeness. And Lord, that you begin to prepare a holy generation, separated to you, be prepared to honor you before marriage and honor you within marriage. Whether we're called to a lifetime of singleness or whether we're called to a temporary time of singleness, Lord, that we would be possessing ourselves with the purpose of bringing glory and honor to you. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the testimonies of marriage relationships which are honoring to you, which bring you glory, where people have made the decision to honor you in the walk of their lives, and they're reaping the harvest and reaping the benefit of that walk. We give you all the glory for all you're going to do in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. God bless you. Um, I'll, I'll answer some questions at the side if any of you have them, but otherwise, Bruce is starting a new series at the five o'clock on the Son of God is born, and at the seven o'clock tonight, we have our Holy Spirit Revival Service. God bless you. If you are making your way out, the welcome team will be there to meet you and say hi just as you make your way, and if you want to find out more about the church, feel free to ask them and find out your place here in the church. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your Sundays, and see you all very soon.